Everybody, welcome to Chuck Yates Needs a Job, the podcast. Sean, I hate to tell you this, but sequels always suck. No, we talked about this, remember? So what did we say? We said that born identity or it was born supremacy, right? Okay. That was a good one. That was a good one. So that's and our Empire, bar here. That's, that's our, our bar, bar that's for our this bar. podcast. Empire Strikes Back was better than Star Wars. You know what happened to me when I was a kid is dad we go see star wars the original yeah and i'm talking 1976 right and we get home from seeing that and dad tells us oh yeah darth vader is luke's father and we're like (laughs) what the hell and we're telling like kids at school and we're getting beat up and all this yeah it was you ruined santa claus yeah ruined santa claus easter bunny all that tooth fairy yeah you know how dad knew that oh uh grandma my nani spoke german around the house Darth Vader is basically dark father in German. Darth really? Vader. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, that's that's how it happened. But well, your grandmother figured it out, but Germany didn't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Did Should we talk about nuclear now? Or? Yeah, well, let's do that. <laughs> Sean, thank you for coming back on. Last time you were on, it was really cool. We yeah. talked to Covenant House. Yes. That was amazing. Now mm-hmm. I get former Morgan Stanley research analyst, yeah. longtime energy investor at RCH, now free agent, Unleashed. I get Sean <laughs> Unleashed yes. to talk investing. So let's start here because I'm actually feeling needy and lonely because none of my former LPs have been reaching out as much as they used to. So tell me what investors are thinking these days about energy. I think that there's been a real awakening to the reality of I've coined the phrase when PowerPoint meets politics, oh, right? So, um, and I'll attribute that entirely to um, Sheffield, a pioneer. And a couple of years back in the shale revolution, he came up with when PowerPoint meets Excel, when he was talking about how research analysts went out and just extrapolated well results in, into perpetuity. So PowerPoint meets politics is just the rationale that you can't effectively get to what the market is trying to achieve from a renewable clean tech perspective as easily and as efficiently as it otherwise would seem. And so your question about what are investors thinking, they're coming to terms with the fact that this is going to be a lot longer evolution. It's not a transition. We're not leaving anything behind, right? It's a longer evolution. And there are good ways to facilitate that evolution. And it's going to start with investing in those technologies and those companies that can really do the most to bring um, the carbon footprint down through efficiency, technology, optimization. All that to say, there's a lot of uncertainty out there because there's there's still plenty of sound bites coming in from all sorts of sources. And the, the narrative of what the energy management teams are doing is not fully digested or appreciated in the market today. And that's and that's something which I think there's a huge chasm that that needs to be bridged. Because the thing 
that I will say is somebody that was an energy investor for 25 or 30 years, however long you want to say, I'm not even sure I can fully appreciate the magnitude of what we're actually trying to do yeah. to, to, to shift to this world where we're not going to have any, we're not going to emit any CO2 anymore. And I don't know how to play it as an investor. And I feel like I'm pretty smart about these things. And so if, if I'm a CIO at a university with a $3 billion endowment, mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't even know what to think about this. Uh, I think that people started to, people got away from energy because for the, the reality was that the industry was destroying returns for a decade, right? right? Return the on capital. The red problem. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, but, and so when ESG started to come in to vogue, it really in 2020, um, the environmental narrative was being defined for the companies by external forces. You know energy executives as well as I do. Very, most of the companies, most of the executives that you know are extremely environmentally conscious. There just hadn't been a focus and motivation to really spend a lot of time articulating that into the market. Um, so the the e narrative was defined for the marketplace and it took a couple of years for the companies to start to present frameworks of how they were actually being proactive in terms of trying to protect the environment and work towards the a lower carbon footprint um but it was the g that kept people out of energy it was the governance it was the shareholder returns and the like and so when you think about where where we are today the the traditional energy companies are generating massive amounts of free cash flow. There was a McKenzie study that actually came out this morning that forecasts even with the with the curve, the way that it is, they're going to generate fifty to seventy billion dollars a year of free cash flow over the next few years, per year, and that's a lot of money that can go towards really interesting technologies to lower their own carbon footprint. So whether it's about CCUS or methane capture. There are a lot of things that en traditional energy companies are doing right now, which I think will go a long way to lower their own carbon footprint and arguably in a more efficient, uh, from a time perspective, um, an economic way than what we're seeing with some of the newer technologies, which have their own challenges. And it's not that they're not important and necessary. We have three and a half billion people in energy poverty. So we need all of this. Um, for perspective, in 2000, 80% of electricity demand came from fossil fuels. In 2020, 80% of electricity demand came from fossil fuels. Right. In Bangladesh, they've got the same energy capita per person as the United States in 1965. They're building out coal and LNG because that's what is available to them. Coal is the cheapest source of fuel possible it's more efficient than burning biofuels or wood or or cow dung right, right. And, i mean that's the that's the reality um and so when you put all these pieces together it's a lot of information and when when you move away from this myopic view of it's the us and europe which has seen actual electricity demand decline over the last 10 15 years digress a little bit princeton in their did a re 
a study through their group called Repeat uh, in the fall of 2022. And that study forecasted that electricity demand in the US was going to grow at 30% over the next 10 years. Electricity demand in the US has been negative for 15 years. So take that, put it together. What about the three and a half billion people who are emerging from energy poverty, who don't care if it's coal, natural gas, propane, butane, crude oil, uh, they just don't want to burn cow dung anymore. Yeah. And, and so when you think about the, get really you know, far down the, the rabbit hole here, but when you think about the UN and the sustainable development goals that the UN came up with, they came up with 17 sustainable development goals back in 2017. Uh, education, health, and um, we're number one and two in terms of the priorities of the sustainable development goals. Clean energy was number seven. So they understand that health and education, GDP growth, all this comes from access to electricity. So when, when you look at this narrative of how are we going to replace six, seven million barrels a day of crude oil supply just from normal depletion, when we're investing half of what we did in 2014 with traditional hydrocarbons, but then we're adding demand every single year because we're not doing anything for demand abatement, right? Right. So how do you put all those pieces together? The IEA is out this morning saying that crude oil demand is going to grow 2 million barrels a day this year. Where's that going to come from? Yeah. Now that was, so I did a podcast a little over a year ago called the energy policy draft where I took, Mm -hmm. I think eight people and made them energy czar of the world and they could come up with uh, one policy and dictate it to the world. And, you know, everybody chose something on the supply side except Paul Sankey and Sankey went demand side and Mm -hmm. Sankey said, you guys in America got to jack up your gasoline tax. Right. Uh, Because you're right about that. So let's unpack this real quick because ultimately where I want to go with this is how are we going to make any money out of this? I subscribe to the theory that this transition is being led by consumers. I mean, this is not just big, bad government imposing something on us. People care about this. I mean, For, it's, agree. Yeah it's, yeah. it's kids and stuff. Agree. So, so and education, education is an entirely different concept that we need to talk about because education is a big problem with all of this stuff. Right. Yeah. No, we have totally seeded that narrative. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I run around. It's it's funny. I was looking. Uh, LinkedIn sends me ads for jobs. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and can they send them to me? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> me, me and you, we can put you. You don't want to be on my list because it's usually like an Applebee's manager. Okay. And I would screw up an Applebee's in a heartbeat. You can work at a Bucky's though. Bucky's maybe, place pretty well. Maybe I could do that. But one of yeah. the things they actually sent me that was interesting the other day was a partner in charge of content at Andreessen Horowitz for their gaming division. Okay. So they literally have a partner that needs to be doing podcasts, TikTok videos, et cetera. And you read that job description and it's amazing. They're talking about, we need to 
to educate the world on gaming. We need to be the thought leader in gaming. So people that need money in that industry want to come to us. And anyway, I have just because I'm a little snarky and can be a bit of an asshole. I've been clipping that, sending it to all my private equity brethren in, in oil and gas. Hey, man, I want to see your content partner. Right. Huh? What? <laughs> but no, you're right. We, we've got to do something on the education front because this is way too important. Right. I mean, this deserves a thoughtful conversation because I think what you just laid out to me, and I'll throw this out and then let you opine on it, is what you just threw, threw in front of me was, hey, a lot of poor people, they're going to want, they're going to need energy. They deserve they, it. They deserve it. Yeah. Right. It's, I actually think it's any of the isms you want to throw out there if you deny them that. Right. We got ours. So it's going to be a lot of coal burning. There, I always say this on the podcast. There's not a peeing and non-peeing section of the pool. Right. It's all one. It's all one environment. So <laughs> right, it's gonna, right, right. It all It's going to happen. And I think accepting those realities is what we ought to be looking at the lens through on investment from a policy point of view is it's that's going to happen. So I kind of lean towards we got to take shots on goal to figure out technology to reduce carbon in the air, given that that's going to happen. Right. But of course not. That's not what we're doing. But well, and people are starting to do that. Right. So that I think that I think that that's one of the things that frankly is one of the most exciting to me over the next couple of years is there is a true appreciation for what can you do with what you have, right? The energy industry has been on its back feet for, for a long time here to have always having to respond to market needs. So let's talk about traditional energy companies for a second. They can sit there today and they can be proactive in terms of how they think about allocating capital, how they can think about energy efficiency, how they can think about managing um, their, their existing suite of assets because they're no longer beholden to this growth at all costs model, which was growth of assets versus growth of returns. They're self-funding, they're free cash flow generative. They don't need the equity markets. They don't need the 25-year-old hedge fund manager sitting in a room telling them, hey, you should do this because I saw this in a Harvard business case study, right? So they're the energy companies are doing this. And I think that one of the things that the market is gonna be surprised by is how much traditional energy companies can lower their environmental footprint by optimizing and utilizing uh, existing technologies, existing engine engineering, now that they've got the ability to actually spend time on that as opposed to the e-grab or the exploration grab of E&P. You know, and you know what? I, I actually think, and... Um... Oh, I'm blanking on her name over at Pickering. I did a podcast with her kind of a year, year and a half ago. Her last name's Holmes. Anyway, she's one of their their ESG consultants. Mm -hmm. She made this point, and I've become a total believer. The SEC rules that we're going to have to report emissions and stuff is going to be great for oil and gas companies. Because mm -hmm. people are going to realize it's the Amazon vans running around right. that, that are polluting, not us. Now, that's kind of like, Maybe in some people's well, eyes, it's the crack dealer that, saying. Well, that gets to Sankey's comment about demand, right? Yeah. I mean, let's just come back to demand yeah. for real quick. So when we were going through the winter of la la last winter with all of the issues around natural gas supply in, in Europe, and there were all the concerns, what were, the, what were the actions that were being taken by the governments? They were subsidizing. They were nationalizing electricity companies. They were right. subsidizing consumer demand. No one was saying, 
chain, it up. Cha- yeah, yeah. <laughs> put on, put a, on sweater. a sweater, right? Yeah. They're saying, use what you need to use and we're just going to subsidize it. I mean, so we start getting into debt levels and what what the consumer doesn't appreciate yet is that subsidies or nationalization just is going to be paid back by the consumer in time. It's just going to come in the form of debt or lower you know, service costs to, or um, lower benefits to, to the population, right? right? Um, but the, the energy companies are simply trying to be responsible citizens. And if you're, in a, if you're in an environment right now where the E is not as important and it's more about the efficiency of that production, right? Increasing the resource recovery in a basin. You think about how well piped out we are. Talk about how we're going to make money. If you ran a bulldozer through any of this, would it matter? Well, I'll tell you what, it'll, it would matter if you ran a bulldozer through Mount Bellevue. It would matter if you ran a bulldozer through the Houston Ship Channel. We have spent hundreds of billions of dollars over the last 10 years making the U.S. the largest exporter of crude oil, refined product, natural gas, and natural gas liquids in the world. We don't need to repipe that. And so when you think about the value and how these companies make money, it's the, it's the reality, it's the truth that in 2050, we might not see crude oil or natural gas demand grow. I argue that we will. But on an absolute level, it's going to stay about the same. And when you think about that, I've got 35 years of cash flow flowing through assets that just require maintenance now. And that free cash flow enables me to fund new technologies, which will and augment efficiency. It will lower my waste heat, right? Cut waste heat by 25%. And that's the that's the that's the power equivalent of some renewable fuel sources. Just by efficiency. Cause I, I believe this totally. We're not, and we're using the term transition. I think you said addition earlier. A, a, which addition or evolution. And yeah. and I take it, and here's the thing, right? I take exception to transition because we're not leaving anything. Yeah, we burn more wood today for fuel than right. at any point in right. the planet. Transition and transition, if you look it up in the dictionary, actually says to move from one thing to another. We're not moving from one thing to another. We are adding to it. Yeah. So if we're gonna add, you've got to leverage the existing energy Absolutely. infrastructure. It we're not gonna suddenly tear down all our pipelines and put in hydrogen pipelines, for instance. I mean, so so I uh, I believe that uh, is 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 really important as we kind of think through this. And then the thing I worry about though is I think we have moved on a policy side from the the U.S. government meddles way too much, but historically they meddle with, here's the outcome we want market, go figure it out. Right. They have crossed the line into, here are our prescribed policies. Right. The IRA says it's electric vehicles, period. It doesn't mm-hmm. say, hey, if you can make lower emission fuel out of natural gas, we're all good, you'll right. get it. And they've said it's, so that, so with those two held beliefs I have, that's why I'm pessimistic 
kind of on this front. You sound the, way more uh, optimistic than I am. Pessimistic on the uh, on our on our ability to kind of navigate our way forward profitably, make money, generate well, returns, as well as do the evolution. So I interesting point. So I would argue, or I would say that I'm actually very constructive on the return on capital or the economic value add that traditional energy companies are going to bring over the next 20 to 30 years because of all the things that you just laid out. PowerPoint meets politics. So we're going to mandate that we go to lithium batteries, right? But Maine, the largest, has one of the largest lithium deposits in the country, recently discovered. The state just, uh, just um, uh, passed legislation banning mining in the state of Maine. Yeah. So how does one how does one meet the other? The the answer is it doesn't. But that the 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 pessimism I think that you're feeling is to me just the reality of how pragmatic and how reasonable are the timelines being put in place for the evolution because energy companies are going to want to find a solution. We need to find a solution if we're going to bring you know, 800 million people with no access to electricity to 400 million people with some access to electricity, then we're going to need additive sources of, of energy. And that's not going to come from traditional hydrocarbons if production growth rates are starting to flatline. Like the Permian is going to continue to grow. I, I'm a firm believer in the value of the Permian. But at the same time, can the Permian grow at the same rate that it has over the course of the last 10 years? No, absolutely not. Um, but your comment about politics, that's part of the reason why it won't. Because if you're a CEO, CFO, board of directors today in a traditional energy company, you have got to underwrite that scenario where you're saying, maybe in 15 years, the value of this is zero. Yeah. And, and, you, and 10 years ago, you didn't have to do that. You reasonably have to sit there and say, no, I, I don't believe that this is going to be the case, but some bank, some investor, somebody is going to ask me, what's your zero case scenario? That's going to inhibit investment. You know, it's interesting. So we did our Empower event and you know, Bitcoin mining for the energy business. Mm -hmm. And I did a fireside chat with Eric Mullins mm -hmm. of LimeRock Resources. Yeah. And I said, hey, Eric, is there a tail issue with investors? I mean, do you hear from investors, you're gonna be regulated out of business in 10 years? And Eric said, yes, mm -hmm. um, I, do, I do see that as a real thing. You're not making that up, Chuck. And he goes, we now model that. Mm -hmm. He goes, when we're investing, yeah. we're looking at, hey, what do we get in five years? Okay. Now we think there's gonna be value left there, but we right. certainly are cognizant of, of tail and and it may be worth zero and to your point or your question earlier about how do you make money on it that's how you make money right the in my opinion the way that you make money on this is you sit back and say all of this sounds really good but we are we are in a society which is TikTok, instagram snapchat happens right away somebody signs a a, pen, a piece of paper in washington and all of a sudden we've got new clean fuels well um, the trans West, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a transmission line running from Wyoming to Las Vegas. It's the trans West, uh, system. I'm blanking on the, 
the actual name. $3 billion, 732-mile transmission line will be online in 2027. The Bureau of Land Management started looking at it in 2008. Mm-hmm. So there's regula- regu- the regulatory environment is prescriptive for old energy and new energy, right? We haven't done anything to improve transmission lines, storage capacity, battery technology. I, there, are, there are so many ways that I think that we can improve efficiency without adding to supply. Like it's it's just we keep wasting it. It's well, look, we're we've got this, so let's go find this new shiny new toy. No, let's take the toy that we have and let's make it work, right? Let's So I've got insight there that I don't think I had a month ago. I had a dear friend, Kelly Mitchell, uh, who when she graduated from school, went to work for Greenpeace, she would like handcuff herself to coal plants till they tear it down. And it's funny, we've become pretty good friends. And yeah. it's she'll go, hey, what are your people saying about this? And I'm like, hey, what are your people saying? Yeah. But one of the points she made, because my whole thing was, why can't we just incrementally keep making things better? Yes. I go, yeah. if you'd run a natural gas pipeline from the Appalachian Basin into Massachusetts, guess what? We could stop using having days where 50% of the heating in Massachusetts is fuel oil. Mm-hmm. Even the oil and gas guy thinks fuel oil is nasty. Yeah. You don't need to be burning that. And two, we could stop all those ships coming from Trinidad to, to you know, because you're importing LNG into huh. uh, Massachusetts. And her take on it was, was, yes, I would agree that incrementally that's better. But the second we accept that, means yeah. we are pushing further out um uh you know deadlines uh, deadlines yeah. on adoption yeah. and we're not looking at heating pumps and things and, that could be better technologies and i look i i can appreciate that i just maybe and look maybe it's pollyannish but i just think that people are going to be more grounded is trying to make something better doesn't mean that you're foregoing the future Right. And, and so, and I'm in full agreement. I think if, if we could, because the, the problem here is that by not trying to make what we have today better, it's only going to make the cliff that we're going to face that much more challenging. Right. Right. And so it's, it's don't let perfection impede progress. So, all right, let's figure out how we can do natural gas pipelines. I mean, you, you're talking about the Northeast. Uh, the Dutch are going to close Groningen, right? A yeah. natural gas field. And in the alternative scenario for closing Groningen, they're increasing LNG imports. Yeah. So it's it, it you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. It just doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's like, well, if we just cut supply, then everything will be fine. No, it's not a supply lend conversation. Energy, hydrocarbons, electricity. We don't just throw it out there and then people pick it up. It's being pulled. Like right. somebody wants it, right? There's a reason why I've got five iPads in my house. And yeah. I mean, five years ago, you know, you didn't have that. It was just electricity demand continues to go up. And there's there's a lot of conversation with all the data centers and on the onshoring being done in the US right now. Electricity demand is going to go up here. Where's it going to come from? Yeah. And and yeah, going back to the the transmission line from Wyoming to, to 
uh, Nevada, California, 2027. I mean, there's been a lot of press and a lot of conversation about hydropower in the Southwest. Is that is that new transmission line going to be additive or is it simply going to replace what's being lost? And I think, and and so to your friend Kelly's point, yeah, we, we don't want to just make a switch and forget about the fact that we've got bigger issues down the road, but we've got to make sure that we're tackling and grabbing the things that we can, the low-hanging fruit, because if we don't do that, if we don't optimize, if we don't improve efficiency, if we don't lower our carbon footprint uh, with the things that we have, then it's always a NIMBY issue. It's always somebody else's problem. It's our problem. Right. And, and you know, there are energy companies that are going a long way and have gone a long way to improve their environmental footprint. And, you know, whether it's, you know, carbon sequestration on the Gulf Coast and, you know, E&P companies are doing this. Midstream companies are doing this. Uh, there's a lot of focus on technology. Flaring in the Permian was a huge issue um, a number of years ago. And that was one of the things that got into 2020 with the, with the whole ESG narrative. Well, of course, flaring is going to be a big issue when all of a sudden you're drilling a whole bunch of oil wells and you've got associated gas that you can't do anything with because there's no infrastructure. What happens when you put in a pipeline? You're not flaring the gas anymore. That's good for the environment. That feeds into the U.S. Gulf Coast. That helps build out to the fact that we now we're, we've exported 16 BCF a day of LNG off the U.S. in the most recent measurement. That's a record. So when you start thinking about those numbers, all of that was wasted energy that's now being utilized. And and so let let's be efficient with what we have. And the people that are best positioned to take advantage of that are the existing energy companies with the existing infrastructure, with the existing resource, the free cash flow, the, the engineering know-how in terms of how do we make this all better? And it's just work together on it. So I'm glad you brought that up because this is a question I want to ask you. Is it fair for and we'll pick on Exxon since they're the the big boys. Is it fair for the world to sit there and say, "Hey Exxon, you're a provider of energy, therefore you need to become wind power, solar power, and all of that and get rid of your oil and gas." I have a and I'm I'll give no. you my answer so that I'm not sandbagging you. I'm like that there's nothing in Exxon's skill set that's going to make them any better at wind and solar than like Apple computer, you know? No, no I think, so I think it it's actually opens up a much bigger question, which is what is the role of a company as it relates to social mandates and mores, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole with this one, but look, if Exxon has the ability to do something to generate an economic return on investment for its stakeholders, not shareholders, right? So stakeholders are your equity holders, your debt holders, your employees, your consumers, the environment, the areas in which you operate. I mean, you know the huge Exxon campus up in the woodlands. They're not going to do anything to destroy that environment, right? So if they have an opportunity to do something that's going to generate a return on capital for their stakeholders, then yeah, they should go ahead and underwrite that. But they're doing that anyway, right? And, right. and, and so 
the notion that Exxon is going to look at a project and not accept it, oh, it's wind, I'm not doing that. No, they're going to look at it and say, that's a 30% return on capital project, I'm going to do it all day long. Right. That's how they that's how they should be underwriting their business model. And and, and my point is they look at it and they go, that may be a 30% rate of return, but not for us. I mean, we don't we don't know how to build wind well, turbines. Exactly. You know, that's, and that's not if they have the expertise, our skill set. Yeah. And if they have it in-house. And but that's where but but that's where the Exxons of the world, just because you brought them up, that's where the Exxons go in and say, there's other things that I can do. Like there are other ways that I can add to or improve my environmental footprint, my environmental narrative, whether it's through carbon sequestration, which I do know and I do yes. have the access to. And, and so it's I'm going to pick and choose um, in terms of where is my time best spent to be the most efficient and generate the best return. OK, so here's what we're going to do. We've talked about all this. I'm going to we're going to do kind of two part thing. Okay. First part. I'm going to make you energy czar of the world. <laughs> what Sean says goes. Yeah. And so lay it out for me real quick, kind of what the steps you're taking. And this is really to your PowerPoint meets policy. Yeah. This is your policy guy now for the world with whatever criteria you <laughs> think, whether it's saving the planet from CO2, whatever. Give me give me the big picture points of what you're doing. Look, I think so. The big picture points of what I'm doing is I am taking regulus, I am taking regulation, and I'm basically taking it off the table in terms of trying to get new processes, new um, new facilities, new infrastructure. Um, I'm I'm enabling companies to do what they need to do without a lot of bureaucratic red tape. I'm also doing it under the guise and the pretense of it is a global conversation. This is a global environment. And unless we are looking at improving the global economy, we have we have a problem. And so I want to embrace and and use and encourage the the clean um, production of traditional sources of energy, you know, so whether it's crude oil, natural gas, um, use of LPGs. I want to encourage nuclear. I mean, small-scale nuclear is is a huge opportunity. But you know, tomorrow Germany's closing a bunch of nuclear power plants, right? So um, I, I think that I want people to sit back and say, "There's a goal that we want to get to a cleaner environmental footprint." But there's ways to improve every single technology, and let's take where we are right now today. And I didn't tap the table. Don't worry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, let's take where we are today. And a year from now, let's make sure we did something better. And a year after that, let's make sure that we're doing something. Let's get 1% better every single day in terms of what we're doing. Let's attack it from all sides. Let's attack it from the supply side in terms of where we're sourcing energy from, electricity from. It's really an electricity conversation. There's 80% of what we use every single day comes from hydrocarbons. and it's not in the car outside. It's this table. It's the microphone. It's your clothes. I mean, it's, you know, go look at an energy transfer commercial, right? They're really good about all this, right? right? But um, it's, it's, I want people to stop and think about just because this is what we want 
doesn't mean it's what we're going to get right now without a lot of hard work. And we've gotten really lazy and just think we can snap our fingers and things will happen. It takes work. It takes investment. It takes appreciation of me, you sitting with your friend Kelly from Greenpeace and saying, what are your people talking about? And you're saying, well, this is what my people are talking about. Why are you doing that? Because there's good ideas on both sides. So bring it all together. So I like your 1%. There's a, I'll get these details wrong, but there's a famous Pat Riley story, coach of the Lakers. Yeah. And I want to say it was 86 when the Lakers lost to the Rockets early on in the uh, in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And everybody said, this is the end of the Lakers dynasty. Kareem is old. Worthy's old. Magic's old. And it's all over. Pat Riley, that offseason, wrote a 10-page letter. This was back in the day. It wasn't an email. Wrote a 10-page letter yeah. to basically every player went through their careers and basically highlighted their best season in each statistical category. And he said, all I'm asking for is for you to be 1% better than that year and detailed the steps he thought that player needed to do. Mm -hmm. The Lakers don't change the roster and boom, they come back and win the championship a game. And it was all focused on the 1%. That was over and over in his letter. So so uh, I love that. I think the the other thing too that's imperative, that's underappreciated is, and, and we're starting to have dialogue about this now. Is at the end of the day, and I've seen some data on this. So I don't know if the data is right, but I've seen it. Until somebody worldwide makes, call it five grand, ten grand a year, I don't give a shit. You know, they <laughs> yeah. don't care about the environment. They're struggling to just live. Yeah. So I think embedded in, if we really want to get there, to your point is let's incrementally do better each day. It's also, let's get as many people as we can to have some measure of prosperity because then they can afford to think your uh, way. I, well, they can afford, this is not meant to sound um, pejorative or, or they can afford to think. They're not being reactive. Exactly. Right? And, and that, and that, what an amazing ability to be able to sit back at the end of the day and not think about, well, what do I have to do tomorrow so that I can make sure that I can feed my family tomorrow morning? Like, right. oh, I've got a refrigerator. I've fed my family. Now I can think about other things in the world, uh, other opportunities, other ways to add value, other ways that I can help. It's just a, it's, it, it's an ecosystem. We all we're we're all one collective part, right. and 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 the. The fear is that you start to onshore or you start to to eliminate um, the the concerns for for others. But think about the think about the intellectual resource in the eight hundred million people that don't have access to electricity. Imagine what what they that what they could deliver to the to the world. Think about the three and a half billion people in energy poverty. Think about what they could deliver to the world. Think, I mean. Think about it locally, right? I mean, the success stories that I see, you know, man, we talked about Covenant House at the beginning. The success stories that I see when you just, when you empower one person to be able to be in a position where they're not reactive, they're not, they're not in fight or flight mode, like there's a real ability to, to, to change one person's life, which ultimately changes other people's lives. And, and I think that that's why energy is so critically important. Energy's not 
energy isn't changing. And you're not changing the, you know, it's not like Netflix where you're changing from, um, you know, selling or sending DVDs out to streaming, right? That's a consumer choice. Energy's not changing. The way that people are thinking about energy and using energy and, and funding it is changing. But the power that it brings to the table is that it's in everything. And if we can, if we can facilitate and build and uh, improve the appreciation for what energy is, where it comes from, and how important it is to improving HDI and GDP and developing economies and what it means for livelihoods, we can accomplish a lot of these goals. And that's what's really exciting about this, this renaissance in energy is that cost of capital is higher. Things cost money. And hard assets are hard assets. You can't replace them. So let's take what we have. Let's use it more efficiently. Let's make it better. Let's embrace what we have. Always aspire to be better. Always aspire to be greater. But don't just stop with, well, this is how it should be, so I'm getting rid of that. So if you'll uh, be kind enough to make me assistant secretary of energy czarness or something, or yeah. galactic yeah. viceroy of uh, your, your galactic... By the way, you realize we're both unemployed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Perfect. The, uh, I have figured out I'm fundamentally the laziest person I've met, I know. So this is totally my jam. I am like <laughs> excelling at unemployment. Yeah. I am so good at this. Yeah. But the one other thing I would add, and I'll get your take on this too, is is and i'm a libertarian i really am i i've only voted for the libertarian candidate for president my whole entire life mm -hmm. i read free to choose by milton friedman when i was young i could even live with the government instead of you know funding x y and z just throw money at, at carbon type technologies because i do think we need more shots on goal yeah. And I don't know that those shots on goal are necessarily going to be driven by the private sector because I'm not sure of what the revenue model is there. You know, I mm -hmm, mean, mm -hmm. corporations are willing to pay for lower carbon stuff, but it's kind of a mess, you know. And yeah, so, I mean, it's got to compete. They're, they're, it's got to compete. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I'd, I'd take more shots on goal. Yeah. Go government, government money, as much as it pains me. Okay, so let's wrap this up. We're sitting here, you are now, instead of being energy czar of the world, you're yeah. chief investment officer of the Yates family office. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you've, <Yeah>. really, <laughs> you've really fallen. Wow. Right. I, I, yeah. Are you at Applebee's or Bucky's? Does yeah, exactly. make a difference? All right. Exactly. So, and your one mandate yeah. is the pot of money, you can only invest in energy. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you're investing in. I'm not talking individual yeah, stock names. Yeah. Give me kind of the buckets and the rationale yeah. for that on what we're doing. Yeah. So look, I think that I think that you want to be part of the solution. You want to make that one percent better, right? So I think that when you look at energy, you've got to look at it holistically. It, energy is not a it, it's not siloed, right? That that's something that um, I think that's part of what's created this rift between between the market's understanding of energy and um, and companies. So I'm sitting with Chuck Yates' pot of money. I own a very healthy amount of traditional energy companies, right? So traditional hydrocarbon companies, companies generating free cash flow, companies generating economic return on capital. 
those are the company and the ones who are doing things to try to be 1% better every single day, right? So it's, it's what are you doing to mitigate or improve your carbon footprint while still generating a good economic return? So I want to own those companies. And then, and we're thinking stuff like that is, is it, like, like pipelines. You're, pipeline you're thinking, you're thinking, like you're thinking, you're thinking, producers. you're thinking cash cows, right? You're okay. thinking, you're thinking producers. You're thinking about the producers who are handle, dealing with carbon sequestration. You're thinking about the producers who are focused on improving resource recovery. Okay. You're thinking about midstream companies that that own that. What's the value of a TCF of gas in the ground if you can't get it out of the ground? Right. It's zero. Yeah. Right. So. Like the lifeblood of of energy in globally, but in the U.S., it's infrastructure. The value of the infrastructure that we have in place is it's irreplaceable. And so, and I'm not here to say that things should trade at replacement value, but vastly misunderstood and underappreciated. So, those are great long-term cash co- cash cow generative assets. But then you also want to be thinking about what does the future look like. And you want to be thoughtful about how you're allocating that dollar. So as opposed to having the, you know, I've got the the pot of money here that's going all clean tech. I've got the pot of money here that's going all, you know, old tech, old hydrocarbon. No, you blend it. Okay. And 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 you create this, you you create a portfolio where you can be part of the future of of energy because at some point, you know, the 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 nascent technologies, the newer technologies, the renewable technologies, solar, wind, you know, nuclear, whatever, however you want to define them, they have an absolute role to play in global electricity and energy demand or supply, excuse me. So you, you, of course you want to own that, but I don't think you want to own it from zero to 10. You want to own it from when it goes from, call it, 10 to 30, right? So okay. you don't want to be the the first dollar in. Like Captain Kirk go yeah. where no man's called exactly. before. Yeah. I mean yeah. because 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 there is there there's a lot of unknowns out there and there are there's a lot of work being done. Um there are a lot of things that seem really good in theory, but they're not they're, they're not applicable. They're not commercial. They're not scalable. And that doesn't mean that they're not good ideas. But there's going to be a lot of fits and starts as as that technology tries to evolve to to be in a position where it can, where it can compete for a dollar because we're we're you know we're 15 years out of the global financial crisis interest rates until recently have been zero we're just now starting to see the the ramifications of a higher cost of capital and when cost of capital goes up well, that means that your return profile goes down and and you've got to be able to to endure that in an inflationary environment for for an extended period and that's why again the bar the uh, the iceberg a lot of that that capital investment to me is in traditional energy got it got it so well sean you've been cool to come on this hasn't sucked this, this is born well, supremacy. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Trust, trust yeah. me, we will get texts. We, uh, we'll get uh, emails and the like. But, this has uh, been awesome. No, I mean, it's I been mean, cool yeah. to come on. The, uh, and if you had to say it in 30 seconds or less, what are you going to go do next? Uh, that is a great question. I think that 
what I'm excited about is being able to see a lot of different things um, and being able to help a lot of different people. I've had a lot of uh, interesting inbounds. Um, and so uh, it's the, the, the thing that's most important to me um, in, in the next step is to, to be able to, to add value and, and um, you know, hopefully continue to learn and continue to grow because there's such an incredible, incredible opportunity and story to tell with energy going forward. Oh, that I just no. want to be part of that. No, I, I, I totally agree with you there. How do people inbound LinkedIn, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, LinkedIn's probably the easiest way. I mean, or I'm a Twitter too, but, um, LinkedIn's easiest. Okay. So cool, man. Just look up Chuck Gates and he's a job <laughs> with his sidekick, Sean. <laughs> there you go. We got a guest host yeah, spot exactly. right here. The, uh, it used to be the coolest thing about Carson, Johnny Carson. Oh yeah. His Ed career. McMahon. Yeah. Yeah. Two things that were cool. One, Ed McMahon. You can come be Ed McMahon anytime. The other thing is late in life with his contract, he was only working about half the year. He had Leno filling in for him, yeah. Joan Rivers, et cetera. Well, isn't that what happened with Kevin Costner in Yellowstone? Isn't that been the big issue? Like he he doesn't want to go up to Montana to film the balance of Yellowstone. So yeah, I contract. think that's right. Yeah. I think that's right. No. The, uh, I would love to have that contract dispute with Colin. I would love to be in that problem. Yeah. Exactly. Good problem to have. <laughs> Sean, awesome. thanks for coming on. Thanks, Chuck. Appreciate it. Always good to talk to you.